0: This is big man tyrone and you're about to watch the mtg cabal cast with your hosts woad thirsty and raptor sub to us
1: on all your podcast networks at mtg cabal cast and youtube Alrighty, guys welcome to the newest episode of the cabal cast this one's going to be a little bit out of the ordinary for us so basically we're providing a retrospective on tcgcon that neither of us were at for this one, we will be at Galveston, but Tampa TCGCon was this weekend. Reached out to a bunch of people that were there, what their thoughts were on the event, what our thoughts are based on their thoughts, what was kind of happening, and what this could mean for events going forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, good news, it's all good. Yes, It's good for events going forward. Anyways, let's get into the nitty-gritty.
0: Yeah, so coming into TCGCon, I think starting two weeks out, we were both kind of worried because we saw no marketing for this event on the whole. There was no no Twitter account pushing it. Nobody was doing anything on Facebook or Insta. And we were very worried about what the attendance was going to be and if marketing was going to be necessary at all. And we thought, well, maybe this will kind of be a regional thing and we'll see one in the US Southeast, one in the Central, one in the Southwest, and create this kind of regionality and underground kind of scene because they won't be really Uh, streaming anything so you don't have to worry about trying to get people to fly in you just do it regionally and that gives regional vendors and regional players a place to kind of come together like we've been talking about all this time with the old school magic scene when you had regional states that led to regionals that led to nats and and this kind of natural progression and coming into the event we were flying like 600 tickets sold which we heard uh from a number of sources into maybe about a week out and that number didn't really change until we started to make outreach and that kind of concerned me because the attendee to vendor ratio was really off we've talked about it before very early on in the cast that we the larger the ratio the better it is for all vendors and all attendees at, at grand prix and so for me to see an event like this i'm going to equate it to kind of a an anime con or a comic con where i'm used to close to like yeah probably two to three hundred uh, attendees to vendors at smaller events and some of the bigger ones that i've been to maybe close to like almost a thousand attendees per vendor yeah
1: and i think that's probably the best way to look at it based on the content of what's there i mean looking at you know this this was trading card games it wasn't just a grand prix it yeah. wasn't just whatever the Yu-Gi-Oh has it wasn't just you know pokemon regionals it was kind of being more along the all-encompassing thing so i was kind of of the same mindset that like i really want to see a few hundred people per vendor while also understanding that's really not realistic because yeah. at those conventions you have so much more going on than just a vendor hall
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, you know you have pop culture panels
0: screenings of new uh, movies and new anime and the art yeah artist all alley stuff. and stuff like that yeah creators and yeah, makers, and yeah and
1: this didn't seem to have that uh, so I, I was a little concerned at first especially there was a friend of mine um the one i'll be at a booth with and will be at a booth with in galveston uh basically posted like hey with breaks we're going to be at this event someone from tampa where the event was two weeks prior to the event said wait that's happening here And that was kind of, like, concerning to me because there was no national marketing Mm -hmm. done by TCG Con. I heard about it from a vendor. I didn't get any solicitation. You had to email them to solicit for a booth. They didn't reach out at all. And, you know, based on what we heard after the event started, like, 2,500 tickets sold, like, that's basically a Grand Prix. Mm -hmm. And that's good. But I think what's going to happen with... You know, Galveston is probably you're going to see a lot more vendors pushing it that are saying, hey, we'll be at this event. Yep, Come check us out. It's going to be great.
0: Yes. And it's close enough to a number of major airports where people are going to be able to get cheap-ish flights. Now that people know what the event is going to be like, it kind of raises the bar and the expectations that anybody that had flight credits can turn around and look into this event and see based on the success of what's coming out of TCG Con from all avenues, like, hey, this is actually an event I want to go to. Uh, we're about 50 days out, a little more than that, from the main main event. And that's still a reasonable time frame to acquire a cheap flight and cheap lodging. So we might see yeah. that Galveston one kind of blow the doors mm-hmm. off. The 2,500 people I'm a lot happier with overall, especially knowing that these are people that are coming together that probably represent individuals that are interested in more than one game. Because as a vendor, you also had to be in multiple verticals. You couldn't just yeah. be a magic vendor and get there. One of the requirements was you had to be in more than one vertical. You had to serve something else. It might not be the same for sports vendors, because a lot of those guys might not do singles. They'll do seals for other stuff. So it just kind of skirts it like whatever. So you're just dedicated sports. But the average attendee seems to be interested in more than one vertical, which is kind of makes that ratio that that still small ratio, a little more savory to me. Because that means as an individual vendor, sure, I might bring two or two or three verticals, but if I were to slant towards one or the other and have the other two with me, I'm still probably going to make my margins by being able to go wide like I would at an anime con, that kind of thing. So my, my sales VLO is up overall because I'm able to, to diversify like that.
1: I, I think and I believe this was something both of our contacts at the event shared was kind of that like, what we'd expected to begin with was you know you mentioned galveston blowing the doors off that this was kind of like the floodgates being opened in terms of people unloading yep so to speak like people just you know i i want to go to an event i want to sell i want to buy i want to get the experience of a grand prix i i distinctly remember I was 30 minutes outside of Detroit because I'm from the Midwest, so if it's within eight hours I'll drive. Drive, Driving to Grand Prix Detroit last year. 30 minutes out, Channel Fireball sends out the email, hey guys, we're canceling. And just drop it. Because I fully expected we'd get at least one more Grand Prix in. And I remember that feeling, and that's part of why I'm looking forward to Galveston so much is, you know, to get back into the swing of things. And it's not just vendors, it's players players as well.
0: Yeah.
1: It's you know, and, people traveling from wherever just to go to Tampa to go to this two-day event, which seems small in comparison to Grand prix, which are, you know, three days, four days, kind of, and they're 16 hours in the hall. Mm-hmm. And this is a bit more scaled down, but people are hungry to do this.
0: Yes, absolutely. And, and I, I think it's really exciting. And that makes the retail side of things interesting for the, the buying and selling you know, at the event floor trading, what have you, if people are hungry to get out, they're hungry to uh, possibly recoup losses, you know, finally cash in on their specs, maybe uh, shuffle uh, items around from one game to another upgrade, downgrade, sidegrade, whatever you want. And so this really makes the retail aspect kind of interesting overall. I saw, I didn't really talk to anybody in particular about what went on on the retail side of things. Cause I was reaching out to kind of like independent actors in the space, like independent vendors who just weren't at a booth. They were just there. Either they had deals ahead of time or they were floor training, what have you, or doing the vendor to vendor thing. But what I saw coming off of Twitter and other social media was like, I saw slabbed Digimon cards. Yeah. Sure. Like OG Digimon cards. I heard that people were more interested in Pokemon at a lot of booths than they were at magic, which is you know awesome. Um, I think Tales of Adventure has a photo up where somebody traded in reserveless Magic cards for a piece of Magic art. So people, yeah, you know, vendors brought art, players brought art. There's there's a shuffle that's going on that's really kind of alluring because it's never it's never been something I've seen before like this. I've seen obviously seen artists at these events, but nobody bringing in you know unique pieces like that to buy, sell, or or trade. And this kind of you know, return to normalcy is, like I said, really appealing and really interesting to me, especially when you consider that the mm-hmm. goal of this event was to try and cast the widest net in the space as possible, possible, the collectible card space, and you're not just going for singles and graded. You're going for kind of the ancillary stuff to these things, too. I, I think that's really great for this kind of convention, and might remove a little bit of a stigma of, like, hey, this is just a Grand Prix alternative.
1: And I think part of it, too, you know, I saw, you know, you mentioned the Great of Digimon and stuff like that. I know there was a booth that was just got misprints. Uh, was one of the signs that they had up, and they were buying and selling misprints at the booth. Mm-hmm. Which, sure, you see that when Dan box there, but that was, that was the extent of their magic at that booth. Yep. Yeah. Was misprints. That's awesome. And then they had, you know, like, Digimon and Pokemon and stuff like that there as well, but it was, you know here's this kind of niche thing that was never really given a spotlight before yeah. that all of a sudden, great, let's just get out there and see what we can do. And it feels kind of like the Wild West. And there was one of the vendors I talked to that was at a booth. He said it felt like all of the best parts of Vegas the first year, where he paid 60% on underground season. nobody batted an eye. You haven't been able to pay 60% on dual lands in years. years. Yeah. But people were fine with it. And it was, everyone was excited to be there. They were ready to go out and have fun after the hall was closed. There were people, you know, like you said, buying and selling the art. There was just, there were marketplaces that don't exist at a Grand Prix or didn't exist at Grand Prix, I should say, yeah. due to the structure that was in place because of channel. You know, you had competing prices on sealed magic, on sealed Pokemon, on sealed whatever because you didn't have just one vendor that was allowed to sell standard product right now. So there was at one point a booth that had sealed standard uh, Kaldheim, just regular Kaldheim boosters for 80 bucks, which is unheard of for a while at, yeah. at a booth.
0: Yeah, that's basically distro or really close to distro. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and that's that's just wild to think that that was happening. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned 60% on dual lands. You know, people were... You know, I had another friend that was at a booth and he guy comes up, he has some shadowless slabs and he says, you know, I, I really want to get rid of these. And my buddy says, We're not we're not buying slabs. We'll, we'll take them raw. But we don't really want slabs.
0: Shadowless po- shadowless base set Pokemon, just to let yeah. people know
1: that's what Sorry, yes, yeah, shadowless base set Pokemon. And he says, You know, just just make an offer. Like what what would you offer on this? And he goes, I'll take these two for hundred bucks. It was two PSA 9 Shadowless slaps. It doesn't matter what they were. $100 is robbery for those cards. Yeah. If anyone, you know, listening, just look that stuff up. It is absurd, exactly. and it seems like... I don't know that that's necessarily going to continue, but it seems like, at least for this event, there's a lot of new people in the space that were trying to get out. Yeah. That invested in the spike, and then like you'd mentioned or trying to like cash out specs or just want to reinvest into something else or just recognize like hey this is not the space for me mm-hmm. I'm trying to recoup something here so I'm not you know underwater on it yeah. as far as I could be I,
0: I think on the retail side of things to really kind of boil down why this is so exciting for me is because this is a brand new ecosystem you couldn't yep. show up to a grand prix as the vendor that does nothing but sell slabs or only <laughs> only foils where all of your cases are fo- you couldn't do that, you couldn't not have you know, non-foil cards for the current format you wouldn't move yeah. anything, people most likely wouldn't sell to you, which is really why you're there and something like this allows people to kind of cast a wider net when they're buying if your Star City your channel, your Troll and Toad etc, you're not really going to want to look into misprints, for instance so, you know, somebody rolls up with a binder of just you know baller factory misprints you kind of have to balk at that because you can't move them on your website your audience isn't going to be interested in them but when this creates a new ecosystem and allows misprints to flow through social media channels like twitter and facebook to a vendor to then be able to represent that on-prem that's amazing and i I think art is kind of up there too i've never seen a third-party art vendor. And whether or not we will actually see somebody like that show up instead of just the artist, I don't know. But I do know artists are there as well. And I'm kind of curious to see what kind of, like, comes out of this. I've never vended, like, Pocanats, which I believe is, like, the biggest event in, uh, in the U.S. until – I don't even know if there's a regionals. And if there is, I don't know if there are vendors at regionals or worlds. I know Pocanats is a big deal. And the same thing with – There are vendors at regionals. Okay. And yeah. – um, one. Okay, and then yeah. I know um, Yu-Gi-Oh! has a similar equivalent. I'm just spacing on the name, and you have to live up to Konami's standards. Well, if yep. you can now vend at TCG con where you don't have to live up to Konami's odd standards of, like, you have to dress a certain way. You can't sell one single card in the booth for $100, so you've got to create weird, goofy bundles and stuff like that. I think this is all awesome and creates a really cool and interesting space to bring, you know, hobbyists together. Like right. So, like I said, for the retail side, of things, like, I'm super happy about that. One of the things I did want to get a, a, a bead on, and we got a little bit of information about it, was events on-prem. Yes. And uh, we knew that uh, Modern fired, and I think that's oh, wow. great. Uh, even before this event, like, months before, when we were still in, like, the early stages of MH2, my expectation was actually by the time Galison rolled around, we'd be in full swing for Modern i think i said on the cast last week that's really where i expect modern to take off because we've been given enough time in the u.s to actually come back to fnm to start playing these events again with modern horizons 2 just hitting time spiral remastered that's going to renew interest in modern and i think you know between now and galveston if you've got modern and parts to get out of and you're able to get out of them this is the place to go because these events are firing they will fire we know for the most part texas is a modern kind of place we've said it before they're a very specific region you can cater to that region you just bring red cards you'll get rid of them all we know this um, other things you mentioned that you were you heard that DB Super fired
1: yeah I, go ahead that's awesome yeah. uh, that that is a product that's similar to Flesh and Blood was like an investor bubble that I didn't think would ever happen and personally I've always loved the Dragon Ball card games mm-hmm. I think the mechanics convey the show very well yes not saying they're incredible games, they're good, uh, but seeing that that fired was awesome because of the, of the events they had, that was the one that I thought was just there for show. Yep. Like, oh, we've got it and maybe people will show up, but they had like four or five pods going at once at one point on Saturday. Yep. So that's, that's very impressive to me.
0: I, I've never heard of that game being played outside of casual settings at an LGS yep. or somebody's home, so that's super thrilling for me. Like, much like the transformers card game where people wanted to play in tournaments and once he said no we don't want that and the players came back and said yeah we do and once he said fine here you go here are your resources and then the player threw the players threw their hands up and said ah fuck it. like yeah seeing db super actually move forward and hold events i think is is great uh i couldn't really figure out if some of the murmurs of legacy events that i saw over the weekend were at TCG Con tampa or not but that does present an opportunity because you're bringing all these people together, you're bringing all these cards together. Sure, why not throw a legacy event together? In time, there are some TOs for Magic who know that they can get a vintage crowd or an old school crowd, and they'll they'll cater to those people. That might happen at TCGCon, but that's a little bit more to do with the marketing that we mentioned up at the top of this, and you're gonna have to do that ahead of time. I don't think you're just gonna let you free ball a vintage or an yeah. old school event. Legacy, on the other hand, you know you probably don't need to do that much work for No. You know. I'd assume, uh, Pokemon Fired. But that's also a game that has kind of a myriad of formats. So, you know, you have Standard, you have their version of Extended, and then you have basically an old-school catalog to choose from.
1: Uh, so, Which I heard. Old-school, which is Watsi era, did fire. Yep. they they It wasn't, like, official or anything. It was casual games going on. But there was, like, a self-arranged bracket for old-school Pokemon, yep. which was awesome because... I know you love that format. I think it's the best Pokemon's ever been. Yeah, But, you know, I digress.
0: No, Yeah, and it's great to see all these events running side by side. That's what I was hoping would happen. When you look at the floor plans, you see there are spaces for huh. tables. And it's going to be really interesting because nobody really seemed to post photos of the event space. I saw a lot of vendor photos, like just, you know, down yeah. vendor uh, alley, whatever. And it looked dope but I don't know how the space was arranged and that's something I'm gonna be interested to see in Galveston and see how they handle it. And I'm gonna be excited to see and note like what happens in regards to uh, events and formats. Um, nobody in my sphere of influence really plays Yu-Gi-Oh at all so I have no insight in, into what happened there. So I would assume, you know, the major card games that are advertised on TCG Con is where they're going to really focus because it also takes a judge staff to put this stuff on. You know? Yeah. You're gonna need some people that understand these games you can't just throw an event on without people that actually understand the rules the plays uh, how the games play etc so i can also see that maybe being affected by regionality so yeah pokemon or another game starts to shine over the others in regards to the tournament space i don't feel like that's a bad thing overall all games can share and like i said there might be a bit of regionality to it as well and that's where you can see the formats you know shift and change over time not being tied to an entity like watsi or nintendo konami whoever makes dragon ball super etc and say okay you where they tell you what format you have to have to me kind of makes this a little more interesting from a player standpoint it makes it feel a little more like a star city open where the entity that's running these events really gets to choose because it's their own circuit and at the end of the day if these are all casual events that's how they're flying, <clears> and firing then cool absolutely just jump in a pod and go man like
1: Well, I think that's also just good because, you know, when you have events like this where you have so many types of games that take place, where you have, like, maybe even, yes, a little bit of regionality because, you know, you go to Florida and one of the things you'll always see is the fighting game community there is insane. Mm -hmm. Uh, Arcade scene is insane. So kind of an analog, sure, there's regionality to it. But the thing is, it allows you to have both specialized and general vendors that all do well yeah there were one of my friends was doing sports cards this weekend uh there were three sports vendors there and one of them sold all of his sealed sports product to another vendor and left and that's you know you hear about that happening at like eternal weekend and places like that but it's something where you have vendors that aren't even operating in the space of the event that still do well yeah and that's only good when you have this type of modality to it and i hope that this becomes kind of the norm that this is what events start to be more like as we open things back up don't get me wrong i love grand prix or mythic fest magic fest whatever you want to call them
0: magic fests mythic championships none of it matters there's no way to play magic at the professional level anymore
1: true story uh that as we get to these events, maybe we'll go back to what we had years ago where you had Legacy and Vintage World Champs, you know, at Eternal Weekend yeah, and you had a big tournament at Gen Con. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Please, you know, I I think this is just good for everyone because it allows more diversity in competition, yep. not just competition. And you know what? Great, you're going to somewhere that it's a huge Pokemon area. Awesome you can still have Magic do well when you have events like this, where it's Pokemon Magic, Yu-Gi-Oh!, Dragon Ball Super, you could do Flesh and Blood, or, you know, the, the Monty Python card game from the 90s, if there's enough of a community there. And, like, I think that's just good for everyone involved. There's no downside to
0: Absolutely. That. Uh, you know, the, the last thing to really talk about, or a little actual retrospective about this, is, like, as a vendor... Would I be going to these over dedicated events? Yeah, probably. I'd probably yeah. be scheduling these in on weekends where I wasn't going to a con, a de- like like I said, an anime con or, or what have you, a comic con, etc. that I'm booked for. I'd absolutely weave these into my schedule. Uh, you know, it, does, yeah. it seems like the ROI is there. Foot traffic should only go up over time. There might be some growing pains. Uh, I don't actually know who's uh, running this show and what their experience is overall what their view is for the rest of this year and next year they might fall into some trouble areas if they're looking to go out to certain places In the west coast we know grand Prix, magic Fests, and the star city circuit did not do well on the west coast they were just poorly attended but this is more akin to a con so you figure your schedule one or two out there and really see how things go and let it shake out but man i'd just let it ride i I'd, I'd roll the dice on every single one of these as a vendor because it's so Attractive from a finance standpoint, your table fees are so small, your stock can be so wide, and your your overhead so little that it seems like these can't not be easy wins.
1: No, I for for point of reference, a ten by ten booth, which is you know a regular island at a grand. Uh, at a grand prix, twelve thousand dollars. At TCGCon, five hundred.
0: Let's go. Five
1: hundred dollars. That's that's literally the cost of like the turbo pass or whatever it is yep. at a grand prix. Basically, it's it's more, but like, that's absurd. I mean, you you can get you know when channel allowed the like back to back split, those booths are two hundred fifty dollars, and they were five thousand at a grand prix. I mean, it, it is fractional. So, like, keep an eye out for events like this because as a vendor, they are incredibly lucrative for ROI. Yep. It's
0: it's absurd. Yeah. And I didn't go through the process to see what it was like to actually sign up for a vending. I do know just off the cuff that they are looking for people who serve multiple verticals. They do not want specialists. Yeah. Like I said, sports cards are different because you're, you're specializing to sports, but you're wide in that, so you're serving you know all professional sports on top of that you might have some seals for other stuff so like i said i think they get a pass just in general because it's very difficult to serve uh sports cards and collectible gaming but that's neither here nor there you know as an opportunity for a small vendor i think it's great as an opportunity for a backpacker again if you can get in and out pretty uh pretty inexpensively i think these are always going to be a great place to go to, to just get out of stock flip stock what have you. The vendors there, you know, they're all, all names in the space. You know, everybody's trustworthy. You can put your buy lists together ahead of time, do it on a Friday. Cause it's a two day event, right? It shouldn't take you too long to get that set up. You yeah. just walk in and they be like, here you go. Here's, here's my stuff for the floor. Take it or leave it. Done. Yeah. Easy yeah. Enough. Um, my expectation is that I don't think uh, as, as, in my current situation in the space, you know where I exist, I don't think I would really show up behind a lot of booths for this stuff. I think I'm still going to be, you know, a con guy, and if we ever get back Magic Fest, that's where I'll be, just because the overhead of sending like anybody is so low. Yeah. And I don't want this to be like damning, but you don't have to send the best of the best to these events. No. You can. I you know. When we we talked about our types of. Uh, buyers and sellers you can bring the buyer that's the, your numbers buyer you don't have to bring you know your conversationalist same thing with your seller you might not want to send your conversationalist you know your actual like cream of the crop guys that are good at you know hooking sales and making and making great buys at these other events you can send you know your your trainees essentially to this kind of stuff because so easy to win, and it's a great stepping stone and learning opportunity for everyone in the space.
1: I I think that's the important thing too. Is when you mentioned sending someone who may not necessarily be as skilled, because in spaces like this, it's a lot less cutthroat. It's a lot less sharky yeah. than you're necessarily dealing with at a Grand Prix, where you have that kind of you know. TCGCon's new you can establish a brand at TCG
0: yeah, absolutely.
1: that's separate from whatever you have at Grand Prix or Star Cities or whatever and like that's that's just good you know and I, I think that it's a good opportunity because it is one of those things where you know you were there I was there when you were early on in booths like it sucked and you didn't like you took a few licks you know you may have had a whole bunch of bad experiences before you finally got in and you were like no, I'm comfortable with this, I know what I'm doing I'm good at this. Yep, Yeah. And sending the new guys, this is the perfect time to do that because you're operating on a much bigger margin than you are at a Grand Prix where you're paying
0: $12,000 for an island. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Whatever
1: CFB. Rip. Good
0: riddance. I mean, look, when they have to foot <laughs> the entire bill for the entire Magic Fest I see office Fair. no help. Fair. All right, you ready to tell us about your pick? Yes. All right.
1: Yes, this 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 one's interesting. So uh, this is Modern fired a lot this weekend. Even before that, I picked this. And I am using this as an example. So I am saying Stomping Ground. You want to pick up Shocklands now. They're cheap. Modern's going to take off. Sure, Shocklands are surging in price. Probably not a great time to buy, but guess what? You're gonna need a whole bunch of them coming up as paper events start popping back up. Yep. So pick up every single one you can. Not just Stomping Ground, I only said Stomping Ground because I'm a sucker for Jund and Ponza, and Jund and Ponza got a lot of new toys in Modern Horizons too.
0: I just played
1: a... Titan. It's great. Cutty <laughs> got stuff too. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, the, all those strategies got good cards. But Shocklands are about to be as important as Fetchlands in terms of inventory. Uh, you obviously have all the utility that you do in Fetchlands, minus playability and Legacy and Vintage. But you have added utility in the fact that these events are happening, firing, and people are showing up. Yep. Uh, purely anecdotal, Weekly Modern in St. Louis. I've said it before, St. Louis is a modern city. We have three shops that do Modern on Thursday night. Each one of them has had 20 people every single Thursday since in-person events started being sanctioned again. I, people are hungry to play. Modern's a good format for them to play. MH2 just came out, so there's a lot of eyes on the format. Yep. Pick up the shock lands while you can. If you have to pay 70%, if you have to pay 80%, I don't think that's bad. If you're outing them either by trade or in a booth, fine. Yeah. Pay the 80%. Obviously, you're not making anything on TCG at that point. Don't sell it on TCG. Who cares? Just these these are things that you know, you had the luxury of kind of unloading before that you didn't really need to make sure you had a stock of, yeah. and this is mostly a pick to remind you as a vendor, or a listener, if you want good trade stuff, make sure this is in your trade binder.
0: It, it, it's it. a good yeah, it's a good signpost and, and a good reminder absolutely, uh, you know that shocks are important and they're an integral part of the modern format and at this point I believe, they're. All seeing play to some degree, even um, Godless Shrine. Yeah. You know that's in the uh, Orzov Stoneblade list. Yep. Yeah, the Stoneblade. Yep. And um, Mardu Pyromancer. If people are still glomming onto that deck, so they all have utility and they all have uh, capability to continue to rise in the space. And the the stocks graph for the Ravnica Allegiance stomping ground is just pretty much a rope, despite the fact that it does drop a little bit. It eventually, rises over time and yeah. It's basically co- kind of coincides with the the end of a modern season when we got uh, Theros Beyond Death and we move more into, into standard like that drops. But if you just go a little further back and you look at the the gate crash stomping ground, you can see that it it does tank after we get the announcement of new shock lands, but it does eventually recover from you know the eight dollar price back up towards ten and it's still climbing. These things have room to grow. Will they be twenty plus dollars again? Probably not. he likes to reprint them every so often, so two
1: years it seems like at yeah, this so, point. I mean. Yeah.
0: Yep. So it does keep the the price down on them, which is great because it allows people to get into to modern, etc. But it is more about the visibility and your stock overall. Shocks are never hard to move. Even EDH players will pick up shocks. Yeah. You might not. Oh yeah. You know, I meant I called out. Godless Shrine, and you can think about Sacred Foundry the same way. Those are two you probably don't want to go super deep on. You do want to do a, a bit of research. I think Stomping Ground is one of the most, uh, the easiest, one of the easiest calls to make. One of the most obvious ones, uh, after that Steam Vents. Yeah. And then from there, you can make your own decisions. You know, you might want to buy downwards. You might want to buy in, like, in, uh, you know, in, a, in an upside-down pyramid kind of thing, where you just end up with four to eight of the Mardu Shocks, and you go to wide yeah. or tall on the others. So and I think this is a really good reminder that every now and then you do need to upcycle your stock and you do need to have presence. Because, again, Definitely. your margins are always there, especially if you're able to move it in person.
1: Yeah. yeah. And I, I think that's the thing is that now we're in, like, not really unique space, but the space we were a year and a half ago mm-hmm. where we were making picks based on in-person stuff happening and not having no basically three outs you know you've got your online storefronts your facebook groups and then whatever third option you have you know your lgs Mm -hmm. and now we have that option now and it's it's kind of a you know like you said it's a good signpost reminder like hey you didn't really need this stuff up until now but now you really need this stuff Yeah.
0: yeah yeah this demand stream or you know this avenue for demand is is opening back up and you need to be aware of that I think it's a, it's a really good call-out. Uh, my pick this week is a card that I thought was an EDH staple forever. Apparently it isn't. Apparently people forgot about this card. It is Grave Betrayal from Return to Ravnica, printed only that I love one. that card. It's so good. It just costs seven. I don't understand why people play it. Uh, it is an enchantment that pairs really well with a lot of uh, removal. Basically... Whenever a creature you don't control dies, returns to the battlefield under your control with an additional plus one, plus one counter on it at the beginning of the next end step. So basically, any creature you kill that isn't yours, you just get back, it's bigger and better. It's also a zombie. Cool, right? So I thought, like I said, this card was just played a lot more than it was, and that turns out to not be the case, and I don't quite understand that. CK is buying uh, about the same amount uh, for more now than they were back when it added to... Uh, my list in January and the TCG market on this has actually kind of stayed the same. And the number of copies in the market space has grown, which basically tells me that, you know, people are interested in getting in on this action. And when you take a look at the stocks graph and how it just kind of sawtooths and while it is depressed, now I, we're going to be buying in, in the plateau and I'll, I'll get to this yeah. graph in a moment and explain why I like it. So overall within the format, this is a, uh, you know, f- has fairly high playability in black based decks that want to control the board which is something i have said multiple times on this cast and it's synergistic with a lot of highly played cards we're not looking at a punisher card and i want to be clear here this is not a punisher card this just goes in this goes in a deck like gitrog monster or herobi because i forgot that actually works for all creatures not just herobi and a number of other like grixis and similar strategies and some of these other cards that get played with it are as like i mentioned gray pack and Shieldred. you know targeted removal mass removal okay easy so this plays well alongside cards as i mentioned gray pack Shieldred, and decks that can wrestle control of the board with hard control so again board wipes non-conditional removal anything that can just one for one or just clear the board currently it sees play primarily in mono black decks uh, expanding out to demir and grixis with a plethora of options but the printing of dam alongside ruinous ultimatum might give people a reason to look back at orozov and or mardu that's actually one of the reasons why i really like this card uh, is is dam because it is another mass removal spell that is or targeted removal the utility it, unconditional so my expectation is that adoption of grave grave betrayal increases as people begin to diversify removal suites, and the core of this strategy kind of solidifies. Like, the Great Betrayal reanimate your stuff strategy. So, going back to the stocks graph, my expectation is that we will continue to see a cyclical rise in the floor of this card over time, and our out-to-buy list is around nine months. So, this is why I wanted to come back to the stocks graph, because you look at this, and we the slope goes up, and then we fall, and it soft is up, and then fall again in 2020, and then it rise again in July of 2020 and falls back down. Every time the floor resets, it never comes back to where it was, okay? So we want to buy right now in the fall in the plateau. So nine months to buy list, but trading or selling into the open market, I expect six months, months, though the returns won't be that great. You really have to let this one cook overall. I don't know if we're really going to see a lot of zombie-related stuff coming out, which always benefits something like this, which reanimates a creature as a zombie in uh, D&D or uh, So we might not get a lot of synergistic stuff that kind of pumps this up, but at the same time, we continue to get really good spells that play well alongside this. One of the interesting things, and it's, I feel like it's kind of tangential to this pick, is one of the top generals, as we're fading down the list, is Gen Arcana Weaver, which is the Mardu general. Mardu, tap, sacrifice an enchantment, return target enchantment card from your graveyard to the battlefield. OK, cool. So you can bring back Grave Betrayal, right? You can cheat it back into play. And then Resurgent Belief from Modern Horizons 2, which is replenish on suspend, where you just return all the enchantments back to the battlefield. Hall of Heliod's generosity to cycle it back on top. Right now, this stuff seems kind of tangential to Grave Betrayal on the whole, but I think this is a lot to do with the fact that these strategies aren't solidified yet. We just got a bunch of brand new cards in the last couple sets, and now Grave Betrayal gets a bunch of new looks. And So that's why I like that Sawtooth draft, because right now, we're in that downfall. We're, we're sliding down in terms of price, and this is where I would buy in.
1: I, I think the interesting thing about this, too, is that those... This is an example of one of those cards that benefits tangentially from these cards, and those cards will tangentially benefit from Great Betrayal, because I would expect that the first time we get a zombie card that interacts well with this, Mm -hmm. those other cards also see a bump. Yep. And it's it's good because it's one of those things that, all right, well, when that zombie card gets played, people are going to be looking not just for Great Betrayal, but the other cards. And when they're looking for the other cards, they're also looking for Great Betrayal. So it's like, a ah, card away, basically, from just having a ton of eyes on it. And that's one of the reasons that I like this pick a lot, because it does satisfy so many different areas mm-hmm. of like, not just hitting eyes, it hits the casual, it hits the EDH, and it hits the design theme they're going with, yeah. because we are getting a lot of this Enchantment Matters stuff all of a sudden.
0: Yes, yeah, that, that that's a good call out too, between, again, the resurgent belief and the rest of the, the who we, that was printed in modern horizons two, the reprinting of hall of generosity we got we do get a lot of these ancillary looks and it, it is really interesting to see right now if people do move in in droves to this card i like i said i really don't think that's the case i wouldn't be surprised though because what was surprising to me was how underplayed and underserved this card is and can be. It doesn't take much to power this out between Cabal Coffers and Urborg. and we just got a reprinting of Cabal Coffers, and people are moving in on that card. It's thirty dollars right now. That's one third of the price it used to be. You know, so yeah. a lot of these cards that might have been prohibitive to something like this also open up opportunity for people to move in and say, okay, now that I can afford my coffers and I can play a lot of this, you know, big dirtily, you know strategy, I'm going to. So, you know, yeah. I think it presents real opportunity time. Thank you. Um, but I think that is going to do it for this week, everybody. So we will be back next week. And you can find MTG Cabalcast on Patreon, on YouTube, and on Facebook or Twitter. We're at MTG Cabalcast there. The actual audio podcast, ah, there we go. Is on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, <laughs> Stitcher, Audible. And if you want to reach us individually on Twitter, I am at Halt. I am Reptar. You are at Thirsty Sizzler. We'll see you next week.